just want to share a few things with you guys today. As, we, as I was looking through this, there's this fellow, George Santayana. He was a philosopher from the end of the 1800s, 19th century. And he coined this phrase. He says, if you don't choose to learn from history, you are destined to repeat it. Uh, the, the, the essence of what he was trying to say was that we as human beings, we are the same. We have always been the same. We tend to react to situations. We, retend, we tend to do things the same way over and over and over and over again. Whether it's today, whether it's in Jesus' time, whether it's in David's time, or whether it's in Abraham's time, or whether it's in uh, uh, Cain and Abel's time, we have just been so consistent in our uh, in Santiana's opinion, although we haven't done everything wrong, we've done a lot wrong. And typically we could have prevented a whole lot of problems in the history of humanity if, as George said, we would have just learned the lessons from history. I think that that's one of the reasons that God wrote us the Bible, particularly the way the Bible was written in many sections. It's a very historical account book. Even there's wisdom in there, you know, there's Psalms and Proverbs, and, and there's definitely those elements of the Bible. But the Bible is also, in many sections, it is a history of stuff that went on at a certain time. And so we're going to kind of take a look at that today because... I feel like as we are going, uh, especially as we celebrate Canada Day and we celebrate a country, you know, we can celebrate, uh, you know, the birth of a child, which is a, a moment, or we could celebrate your birthday, which is in a season of a year. Uh, but when you celebrate times in uh, uh, the, the history of a country, we do that in sense of maybe centuries. You know, we'll do 100 years, or I forget where you guys are, the United States is, that's, you know, 200 and something years old. You don't go 200 and, you know, seven years and four months and three days. That becomes irrelevant because of the length of time that countries live for. And where we can often get into a trouble is, oh, let me start with it, with it this way. Um, the Bible tells us in Second Peter that a day, from God's perspective, a day is like a thousand years. And what that kind of means is that, you know, if, if we're, you know, as human beings, we have a clock that's on the wall and the clock counts down minutes and hours or maybe days, maybe even months. Your clock may even give you a calendar year, which is, it would be, wow, that's a big clock if it gives you a calendar year. When God is dealing with things, he doesn't see a minute. This is going to kind of mess with you. He doesn't see a minute any different than he sees a millennium. Um, and, and maybe a, a good way to say it is like this, is that the same components that make a minute work in your natural life is what would make a, a millennium work in a nation's life. Those are the same things. And you'll notice that it's kind of consistent throughout all creation you know, I was so astounded the one time when they finally gave us a look when I was a child. You, you got to see what the inside of a cell looks like from a microscopic level. And if you're not careful, you'll say, well, isn't that the universe that I'm looking at? Because they kind of look the same. And you realize that the minuscule and the, the expansive are the same. 
And so that's also the case when we are dealing with lessons that we can learn as we set ourselves as Canadians or soon in a few days, for those of you that are American or wherever you are around the world, as you celebrate and give your life in service of your home, of, in service of your country, how do we get an idea uh, to, uh, to glean from what has gone on in history that we have seen in the pages of the Bible that will help us as we go forward in our lives, as we go forward as participants in the process that is our country or our home, how do we get to grab onto some wisdom so that that wisdom prevents us as human beings from just doing what the common man will do? The common man who isn't looking to history to guide them in their present as they go towards their future. Santiano's uh, 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 premise was, if you don't do that, you're going to fall into the same traps that others have fallen into, which we don't need to fall into. We can learn from that and, and make the decisions that are maybe not, that are not intuitive, that are uh, driven more by the excellence that comes into my life from studying history and seeing, wow, that wonder what was that was like in their lives, and they definitely didn't do that right. It seemed right, as it always does to us. That's the other problem that we deal with, is that when we read history, we can read the entire life of Solomon, for example, in a good sitting with, a, with maybe two cups of coffee. That took Solomon his entire life to live that story. He lives it minute by minute, second by second. It's a lot harder to live life minute by minute than it is to live life on a few pages of a historical account. Because the decisions go slower, there's much more involved in the nuance of right now in your and my life that is complicating the journey and when we look back and see the life of another person, that complicated issues of every morning and the stuff going on and the day after day after day of it, can, you can spend uh, six months and get so far off track. Well, that six months is hardly even an epitaph in a story of your life. That's the problem. And when we live it, we can get busy in, you know, the image that I always have in my mind is, do you remember the Peanuts character, uh, Linus? Yes. The, uh, was it Linus, the guy that walked around and he always had the dust cloud around him? Have I got the right guy? Yeah. The, the, the issue that I, and I've, I've used, you know, this has come up many, many times in my Christianity where the Lord is trying to get me to stop running around in circles because as Linus runs around in circles, the dust cloud gets bigger and bigger. Is it, who is it? Pigpen, I knew it wasn't Linus, he's the, he's the blankie, right? Pigpen, when Pigpen goes around and around and around in a circle, after a while the dust comes up over his head, he can't see anymore. That's oftentimes what happens in our lives. All Pigpen needs to do is stop going around in circles and step out a few paces and all of a sudden the dust will be behind him and he'll be able to see again. That's kind of what we're going to chat a little bit about today. And so when we're looking at it, we remember that, God, that the same components that make your day work are the components that make a century work in the life of a country. 
those principles are, can just as easily be superimposed over a minute in your day as it can be in a, in a century in a country's life. As we look at that, then we can say, okay, when I am giving my portion to my country, when I am serving my country, what, can, what principles, if there are any, can I use to do that service? What am I actually looking to be able to contribute? Remembering that as we serve, the, as we, as, uh, you know, the minute, the hour, the day, the year, maybe the decade, that amount of time, common people can really get very focused on my life. I got to make this day work. I got to make this week work. I got to make this month work. I got to make this year work, maybe. Maybe you're way out there and you're going, I got to make this decade work. And so the pressures of the shorter time frames get us to be really intensely uh, distracted, if you will, or there's a lot of gravity in those shorter time frames. How many of you have noticed that when your day gets busy, you're going to have short-term emergency projects and long-term really wise and smart projects, and you spend your whole day looking after the ones that you won't even remember you looked after when you get to next week? You're so distracted by the short-term emergency issues. That's how it is for our lives. Our lives can be very distracted by the short-term things that it's a good idea to spend a little bit of time, like today, where we would look at it and say, okay, let me give my focus to serving my country. And if I'm serving my country, how am I? That's going to be a long-term project. There's not really a lot that you or I are going to do individually in the next 10 minutes that are going to transform the life of a country that's going to live for millennium. So when we look at that, we say, okay, I am trying to use my short-term life to serve a, a, a person. Let's say our country is a person to serve a person that is going to live for 5,000 years, God willing. And remembering there is a real disconnect in those time frames, but those time frames act and are affected by exactly the same principles. Does that make, am I getting, is that making sense? Let me just go forward and maybe it'll make a little bit of sense. We can take a look in the scriptures. Now, I'm not going to go to specific scriptures because there'd be a billion of them today. But if you're, if you're interested in this historical season of 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, those books, and they very much overlap on details and all of those kind of things, those books are kind of the story of this King Saul, then King David, and then King Solomon, and then Solomon's, the, the king's, the, the issues, whatever, that took over after Solomon. And so if you're interested in this learn from history thing, I'm going to very much suggest that you put that on your reading list for this year and go through at least that you would hear the story of how things transacted between what we're going to talk about today as the generations, in the sense that each of us are living in a generation, and that generation is going to affect the next generation. As opposed to, let's say, I'm going to live for the minute or the hour or the day or the week or the year or even the decade. Now I'm going to think about how do I live generationally? Because generationally is getting a little bit closer to the century-ness 
that countries live by. Does that make some sense to you? And that'll kind of help us to bridge the gap between my little life and the country's big life. To look at myself from a generational perspective. And when we look at now the story, which I'm, I'm just going to drop into a whole bunch of sections here, because we're going to notice, first of all, when David lived, as we're going to start with David, and start with Saul, we'll do that another time. We start with David, King David. When King David was living, his life was very much about confusion and war and negotiating and all of these kind of problems. King David was always at war somewhere for his entire life as, he, as king. What David was trying to do as he was at war or at negotiations because of a war or at negotiations to prevent a war, he was in one of those situations all the time, multiple situations even at the same time, because what he was trying to do, he was trying to take the nation of Israel. Now, remember where the nation of Israel had come from. Now, Moses, Joshua, the promised land, and they broke up the promised land into these areas all governed or given to the different tribes uh, of Israel. And what David was trying to do was gather all of those guys back together again so that they would kind of become the United States of Israel was kind of his, his plan under the monarchy of King David. Now, King David's life then was a mess. It was always at war. But what we notice then, as we take on to the next generation, which is Solomon, David had a bunch of sons, Amnon, who did bad things to his sister. And so the other brother, Absalom, killed Amnon. And then one of David's guys killed Absalom when Absalom tried to take over from David. How many of you are thinking, wow, that's a mess? <laughs> then Solomon, watching what's happening in David's life now, so preoccupied with the matters of state and the matters of the monarchy and the matters of war and the matters of all of these type of things, and you're noticing that his sons, one, two, and three, have all kinds of problems. Even the third one then, right before David is dying, his name was Adonijah, tried to take over from the king in his old age. And it was only because of Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, who said, no, 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 David promised the throne to Solomon. And so she got in there at the last minute. So we have Amnon who had issues, then Absalom who had issues with Amnon, and then had issues to try and take over the throne from his father too, aggressively. And then Adonijah who tries again to take over, like literally, you know, get his dad in in uh, a, uh, what do you call those? A coup. Then, but finally, we get Solomon who comes on the scene. Solomon gifted by God to take on the leadership now, the kingship of the nation of Israel. Watch what's happened though, is that David spends all of his life in this turmoil. Solomon takes over and what's happened? Now Solomon lives in the peace and prosperity that was given uh, a one hard one by his father David. So remember the scripture says uh, that wisdom is known by her children that what goes on in one generation isn't actually felt very much in that generation. 
what happens then is that what comes out of this generation is the next generation that they start with. So David won the peace and prosperity that Solomon just kind of wandered into and became this amazing king in this time of peace and prosperity. Problem is, Solomon decided that the God who his father served that enabled his father, David, to unify the nations and build this place of peace and prosperity, making these relationships with all the kings from the north and the kings from the, the queen, as it were, from the south, and the, uh, all of the different forces, as you know, where the promised land is, is sort of right in the, you know, the, the, the five-way stop between all of these continents. So all of these trade routes coming through this area with all of these beautiful relationships that David had made with all of these kings and nations all around, they prospered unbelievably from this peace and prosperity, this hub that they had created where everything going from east to west or north to south had to some point in time go through and pay taxes in this nation of Israel. The problem was Solomon made some mistakes as he was living his life as the king of Israel. He didn't take the peace and prosperity season that, Mo, uh, that David had given him and turn it into a thousand times more in the things of God. Solomon ended up making mistakes with women, with horses or with pride and with money. And so he didn't make the right decisions. Instead, he got off. By the end of his life, it's not really clear whether he even served God anymore. Then you get Solomon's son, Rehoboam, who takes over Israel after Solomon dies. And the, na the nations now split into uh, uh, 10 out of the 12 nations that David had unified no longer accepted Rehoboam as their king. The nation then divides to north and south, to Samaria and Israel, or it was, it was the other way around actually because it was Judah. <laughs> Sorry, it's confusing. Anyways, no, it's easier to say north and south, and they break up into two pieces. Israel is now two nations, and for the rest of time, those two groups of people, Jeroboam starts out with Jeroboam in the south, uh, uh, in the north, and Rehoboam in the south, and they fight. They're back at the problem that David, only two generations before, had given his life in order to prevent from happening. What you have is the ability to watch how the seasons and the generations become distracted. They lose the vision because they didn't understand the price that had been paid historically to get them to where they are today. Do you know we can do the same thing? In Canada, in the United States, we are living in Solomon's time. How many of you know that our cultures are losing the way that was brought to them through godly people? through people who sought after the blessing and sought after serving God and sought after finding his ways to make decisions on matters that live in lifespans like countries do. And now what we're finding is the same thing repeating itself in our world that had happened right on, everybody has access to read this material, but we're refusing to see that we need to we need, to be, we need to be ready to make some different decisions because there was no reunification 
of the nation of Israel until 1948. That was the big celebration. They had never been unified as a country before, back to the way it was in King David's day. We can also go back now to see the similar situation presenting itself in the life of Abraham. So Abraham uh, was, as many of you know, in the, in the, you know the starting in Genesis chapter 12 there, Abraham began this relationship with the Lord that produced extraordinary wealth and privilege. You know, he was a powerful, powerful man in the East. But, but Abraham, Abraham was a nomad. God had promised him, wherever the soles of your feet tread, this land have I given you. But when Abraham lived, he never had that. He didn't own it. He was a nomad. He kind of wandered around and, you know, went from well to well and went from this area to that area with his sheep and herds and flocks, which were so extensive that people had to keep telling him to move on because he was sucking up all the grass in the region. But when Abraham died, his son Isaac was given all of the inheritance that his father gave him. But Isaac whose job it would have been to take hold of the promise of God to whatever degree Abraham had gotten to and take that a thousand times more. You see, what, what, what uh, uh, Isaac did, you can see it in Genesis chapter 26 there, uh, uh, Isaac knew how to operate in this thing called the blessing. Remember when he sowed in a time of famine and when there was no natural reason that that crop should have come up, the crop came up, not only came up, but produced a hundredfold return. Now remember that fact when we talk a little bit in a moment, but clearly Isaac did not know why the blessing of God was operating in his life because he took his hundredfold return and he put it in the barn and he lived on it. And then his generations turned into Jacob. Remember Esau and Jacob? And then Jacob turns into Joseph and his brothers. Now remember that Joseph ends up down in, in Egypt. You remember the story, the, you know, the pit in the palace, kind of the prison and all that. So Joseph finally gets to the place where he is just about to be promoted by Pharaoh because the, he's got a dream. Interestingly, that dream is about using a time of famine to produce the blessing of a hundredfold or a billionfold and how to now use that blessing to take over the world. That is nothing different than what was supposed to happen in Isaac's life. See, if Isaac knew the blessing of God was, to, was not supposed to be something that just looked after Isaac and his family, because he could have taken that hundredfold return and planted it again, and a hundredfold and planted it again, and a hundredfold and planted it again, just like what, David, uh, what Joseph did as he used that in a time of famine when everybody else was starving, but he used it for the benefit of Pharaoh. And so what Pharaoh did is Pharaoh, because land value was zero, because you couldn't grow anything on it, everybody was broke, Pharaoh could go around buying up the nation of Israel because he had the food. 
the, 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 the harvest that Joseph had gotten him through the blessing, that's exactly the same thing that Isaac could have done if he would have understood the nature of the blessing and what it was doing in his life. He could have gone, now watch the irony of this situation. Isaac could have gone into the promised land where the whole place was in famine. He could have gone in just like Pharaoh went to, in Egypt on the other side of the Mediterranean, where Pharaoh used his wealth at, in time of famine to buy up Egypt. Isaac could have used his wealth in the time of famine to buy up the entire promised land that had been promised to his father, Abraham. But God never forgets, never forgets. God never gets a new plan. And you see that when Moses, now this is four, they were in slavery for 400 years. So we had Joseph's life. We probably had a season there where everything kind of started losing ground as the Israelites, even after Joseph, didn't understand. They were supposed to take the kingdom of God and fill the earth with it. And so by the time now Moses comes on the scene, we have lived from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, sons and sons and sons and sons. And now the Israelite nation has been in bondage, hard bondage uh, under the nation, under Pharaoh's whip. Moses shows up. What's God's plan? First thing he tells him, we're going to be, he's the deliverer. Remember the story, Charlton Heston, right? He becomes the deliverer of Israel. Uh, the nation of Israel from under the bondage of Pharaoh, before they leave, they go to their neighbor and demand payment for the 400 years. So when, when the Israelites are leaving Egypt, they're leaving Egypt with, their, with full paychecks as if they had had, it had been Joseph's all the time. They leave and go back to the promised land, the land that Isaac should have bought that land is now occupied by many other nations who have built houses and planted vineyards and built uh, livestocks. And they run those people out of town so fast that they can't take their livestock with them and they can't harvest their grapes. They can't pull out their tomatoes. And the Israelite nation walk into the, the land that had been promised to them 500 years before and they go and take it all back with all the houses that they didn't build and the vineyards that they didn't plant and the flocks that they didn't raise. God had given them everything that he had intended, important point, that he had intended was going to go from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob as they take over at least the promised land. That would have just been Isaac's job. Then from there, Jacob could have expanded it even more. And then Joseph could have expanded it even more. And that by two or three or four generations, he could have transformed the entire continent, what is now the continent of Africa, the Middle East, uh, Europe, Asia, India, all of that piece, they could have just filled. They wouldn't have known perhaps we were here until maybe they built planes or ships or something, but they could have taken over that whole area, filled it with people who were willing to serve God and use his principles in order to run their world. Can you tell how the world would have been different? All they needed to do, as Santiana said, was I need to learn from history. 
You see, the lesson for us, as we sit in Solomon's court, do you understand my metaphor? We're living in the land hard won by people who gave their lives in war, who gave their lives in, in, uh, in wagons going across the nation. As the indigenous people served this land, protected this land, these people that had gone from, from, from century after century, after, they are the people on whose backs we stand. We can, like Solomon, lose our way. We can be over-distracted by the horses, by the pretty girls, by the piles of money, and we can forget the principles that lead or that brought us to this place of peace and prosperity. Do that When we decide individually, you and I, when we decide as part of our nation, that we are going to stand as banners. Our lives are going to stand as banners that, that declare boldly, the reason you come into the land that flows with milk and honey is because God brought you here. Yeah. You don't come, there, there was no nation on earth and there has never been a nation on earth that lives in extended periods of peace and prosperity without God at the helm. You go talk to the Persians, you go talk to the Greeks, you go talk to the Romans, you go talk to, uh, to the Brits. All of these empires that have run for, for hundreds of years and are no more. They have all done so because they lost their way in the people, the individuals, the yous and the me's that were in those times when they lost their way. What you and I are being called to realize, and it's gonna, it's, you, you gotta, get your, gotta pull the top off your brain right now. Isaac didn't realize, even though he was the richest person he knew, he was nowhere near the ceiling of the potential of his life. Let me say that again. Even though Isaac was way beyond ability, wealth, privilege, strength, armies, understandings, all of those things, way beyond the people that he was with, he still was nowhere near the potential of his own life. God had a plan to make Isaac a thousand times more. The problem was Isaac couldn't see it. We would say right now that everything that has been invented, that will be invented has been invented. There should be a roar of laughter <laughs> in the room. We're not even close to having invented everything that's going to be invented. The powers, the organizations, the forces that are in play in the earth today, they do not have the divine right to stay there. They can be supplanted just like they supplanted the ones that came before them. All God needs is a person, a people, 
who are willing to say, God wants to use my life, wants me to take those things that I was given and make them a thousand times more. If we will do that, take hold of the blessing of God. I know you can't. I know I can't. But I know God, his blessing on your life can make your life a thousand times more. The only question is, are you going to get lost when you get to three times more? About three times more, your life will be very comfortable, like Isaac's. You'll be richer than most of your friends, stronger than most of your friends, wiser than most of your friends, and that'll be just good enough for you. Instead, God says, don't stop at three times more. Go for a thousand times more. At a thousand times more, you change the world. At a thousand times more, you can influence the way things work. When you stand up and you have your Jesus Loves You t-shirt on, there's not just three people looking at you, there's 300 people. When they ask you, why are you so great? You give glory to God instead of giving glory to your degree. People are listening. People are listening. That's all God is needing. That each one of us would just say, my life is destined to be a thousand times more. Because if you'll say that and believe that, your eyes open. You're no longer a nobody in the nation of Canada. You're no longer a social insurance number. You're no longer a security, whatever, what do you call it in the States? Social security number. Now you are an influence. Now you are a citizen. Now you take hold of your job as a citizen, as a contributor to your nation, a contributor to your home, and you decide, I'm going to be part of the future where we have learned from the past and used that wisdom to guide the way of my nation towards something that doesn't lose the benefit of King David's life, who doesn't lose the benefit of those soldiers, who doesn't lose the benefit of those people whose lives were given to pave our streets and dig our canals. Those lives can keep on being extended in greatness if we would decide, I'm going to let my life be used for a thousand times more. Put your hand over your heart.
and say this with me. There is set for me a thousand times more. Regardless of where or when I started, God has a plan for my gifts, my talents, my anointings to transform my world for the better and for his kingdom. I open my eyes to see his plan and the people around me who will both support my plan and be supported by it for their plan. Holy Spirit, I need to see and I need the courage to allow my life to pursue God's plan and see it come to a thousand times more. In Jesus' name.